0: I'm all for the way it went down. That's
1: it. You know what? No one has a mustache. I'm going to get a
0: mustache.
2: Pizza Pizza is a very divisive pizza.
0: My bad. I must have just been an unbelievable hitter that day.
2: Welcome to episode 17 of Digging In with J.P.R. and Sevia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. And today we talk with Sean Reed Foley exciting young power pitcher with the Toronto Blue Jays, and a guy who's coming off just an absolutely fantastic start uh, against the Miami Marlins. It is the Marlins, so take that for what it's worth, but it was...
0: Hey, 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 stop the... Stop, you didn't have to go there. Just give the man... He punched out 10 okay. big leaders. Don't, and not, don't no, give him great, the Marlins.
2: Great team. start, first MLB win. But before we get to Sean e. Foley, Foley, a lot has happened since we last talked, and most specifically... The Josh Donaldson era with the Toronto Blue Jays is over. A really incredible era. Ends up moving for a player to be named later who we think is now going to be Julian Merriweather. And it's tough because the circumstances around it make it pretty logical that they didn't get a big return for him. This is a player who's been injured the last few years, has been injured a lot this year, hasn't necessarily played well when he's been healthy. He's played well, but not Josh Donaldson level. And so he is a pure roll of the dice for the Cleveland Indians. And I think it's a smart roll of the dice, but a pure roll of the dice. But at this point, the Blue Jays kind of walk away empty-handed. And this divorce is, you know, it's a little bit on the messier side. It's definitely not what they would have wanted.
0: Well, uh, I, I don't agree on the empty-handed. Um, I think that they definitely, you got a prospect who before surgery, Tommy John, which we now know um, is a days is a surgery where it's like a 98% return rate this guy's up to 97 he's in the high 90s so I think they added another power arm uh in a in a day and age where that's what you need in the in the bullpen and just arms you need those power pitchers so I don't think that necessarily they just kind of didn't get anything back I'm also I'm I'm very in a different situation than I feel like a lot of the fans and and whoever may be that that the Blue Jays made a mistake or we got screwed uh listen First off, Josh Donaldson, I don't think Josh Donaldson takes a qualifying offer. I think Josh Donaldson, if if I'm a GM of another team, I'm waiting. I'm f- fired up that that guy's going into free agency because I want to be able to sign him to a multi-year deal. Because although, yes, has he been injured the last couple of years and, and different things, but he also was the best player in baseball in the American League uh, for a couple years and i think that he shows that he's still there's nothing falling apart in the sense of he's had a couple of rehab games and he went home run home run this guy figured his swing out this guy knows what he needs to do so the blue jays weren't going to get him back and they weren't going to get him get stuck with a qualifying offer that he was going to accept i've i've heard some things out there that people think that he would have accepted the qualifying offer i don't i don't think that he would have he knows his he knows his, his worth and he would have gotten paid uh very nice for that. And so um again, timing, all those you you make decisions best you know, pretty much based on what you know at that time. And I think, you know, did the Blue Jays maybe feel like they had a chance to win? Yeah, so that's why they kept him around and didn't didn't get rid of him earlier. So I mean there's there's ways that you can look at it, and I try to look at it in the sense of you know they made they made a gamble it didn't work out and you know they they were able to to get rid of him they'll save some money in the last month of the season which is really not that big but it's a it's at least probably you know closer to a million dollars and then you get a young arm which you don't know what's going to happen he he could be a dude that's that's helpful but i i just don't he wasn't going to take the qualifying offer. He wasn't going to stick around. I don't, you, need a, you need to have all these young guys are coming up. They need to have an opportunity to get out there. So I just think it was the right thing to do.
2: I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he gets in free agency because that will tell us about the whole qualifying offer, what would have happened. If he gets tons and tons of money and he gets you know, a decent term, that will give us an indication the market for him was there and maybe they shouldn't have worried about the qualifying offer. If he ends up with a pretty modest deal, then maybe that's an indication that getting Riven was the right call because they didn't want to deal with the qualifying offer and the PR that goes with that. Uh, if he returns and then maybe blocks someone, and I under I understand, especially with Vladdy Jr. coming, why the impetus on them was to remove Josh Donaldson from this team because you just don't want to deal with that situation. Maybe you're right. Maybe that situation never would have arisen. But I understand. Them taking whatever step they can to prevent that from happening. Because if he had come back in 2019, I don't think that that's a situation that really works for anybody.
0: No, it would have been it would have been in a bad spot. So I, I mean, listen, I'm I'm all for the way it went down. Again, they made the decisions based on what they felt like, and I, I think as fans you should go well. Oh, could they have let him go last year for for more? And could they have traded him? Yeah, of course they could have. But you should kind of. Kind of tipped the hat and to say that these guys still went for it. Like to start the season, the Toronto Blue Jays with the pitching staff, if they, you know, which was supposed to be a strength, it looked like a team that was going to contend, right or wrong.
2: I would say contend wild card, maybe. Well, you didn't,
0: you didn't, you didn't know, yeah, but you didn't know, listen, you didn't know that Boston was going to be the, free you knew team, they were going to be the, damn the good. Powerhouse. You knew, I think, but you didn't, you didn't, there's no way you thought that they were going to be the, breaking records on oh, winning no, and all these different things. I think it was. So, so that's my point is you, you still, you, no one could have predicted that it was going to be this crazy of a race. I mean that, that literally the AL East it's the amount of wins is ridiculous. So, I, I mean, I, I just, you, you thought they were going to compete and I want you have to tip your hat. I, that's what I, how I feel like if, if you're a fan, you're going, listen, I'm, I'm just excited that at least they actually went for it as opposed to some other teams that before the season, just said, we're gonna cash it in. So uh, again, now did it end up maybe backfiring? Possibly because you could have gotten more stuff. But uh, again, I'm just fired up that they went for it. So it is what it is. It's that's part of the you know that's part of the risks and rewards you take. But I am excited. I mean, yesterday you're watching a game and you're you're seeing a lot of young guys. You're seeing Davis getting an opportunity. You're seeing uh, Taliz uh rowdy tell or whatever i mean he has opportunity he gets a f- what a great story like there's a lot of things that you could still attach yourself to this team in a positive way and i'm fired up to watch all these young guys go up there and have a last whatever couple weeks three weeks to let it fly and see what we really have yeah
2: i think that the biggest issue people have with this deal is when they look at it in the most broad strokes and the broad strokes of it is that you traded josh donaldson after two you know not Competitive seasons for a guy who's you know 26 and has been hurt and is an arm, but you know is far from the sure thing. So that I see, I understand when people look at that just as a whole and they have a problem with it. But like you said, there's a context, and the context is that they had a veteran team this year. Maybe they could have dismantled before the year, but it was going to be a tough road this year with Boston, New York as good as they were. But I think there was a legitimate thought that. If a few things broke their way, maybe they get get that second wild card. It wasn't insane, and I think people are treating it as if it was insane. Was it a little bit optimistic? Maybe. But it makes sense to me the way they did it. I, you know, if it were me, I'm really kind of i maybe I'm even more cold blooded than some of these guys who get accused of being cold blooded. I probably would have torn it down earlier, but I understand why they did what they did. And, you know, this was always a possibility. It was always a possibility he would get hurt. That's a risk you take, even, especially with pitchers. Sometimes people sign pitchers to one-year deal. They're like, oh, I'm just going to trade him at the deadline. Well, you know, pitchers' arms fall off all the time. Like even Jaime Garcia is a guy that probably figured, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll trade him at the deadline. You'll see, you know, they'd sunk a decent amount of money to him. That didn't happen because he pitched his way out of it. So even sometimes the we're going to trade someone at the deadline is a great backup plan if everything goes wrong but if everything goes wrong that often means that player doesn't have value anymore and Donaldson, even though he's an incredible talent just ended up at a space when where he didn't have a lot of value on the trade market
0: yeah i mean and that, and that is what it is and i think again you just look at it as i'd rather have a team that i support that a front office that wants to go and get it as opposed to just kind of wave the white flag and go you know we're not going to even do anything um and we don't really care and we're just gonna kind of wear it for a year and see where it goes the one thing I am I mean this the one thing that I I watch these games and I don't know about you and this is a little off topic but I watch these games going dude I read what Tulowitzki said on an interview and I'm watching these young guys and I'm watching these guys go out there and play and I'm going there's gonna be a little dilemma next year going on there's going to be some drama going on before this the the year starts with what they're going to do oh for
2: sure and i think that we've seen russell martin uh be very you know open to different roles and you know being more of a mentor being more of a utility guy you know just cashing his check and having a good time tulitzki doesn't seem to be in that headspace i think it's fair to say that tulitzki he it's kind of I I do give him some respect because I think he knows that the way he's put, like the things he was saying, will be perceived negatively by some people. Some people are going to say he's selfish. Some he he could easily make things. uh, He could have a road that's easier to walk if he just said, you know, I'm a team guy. I'm going to do as good best of the team. We'll see what happens in training camp. And instead, you know, for a guy who gets criticized for being bland, he's he said what's on his mind.
0: Yeah. No. and and listen. I I 100% I'm nothing against him. Right. I think the reason why he's probably has been as good as he's been his entire career and why I think he'll continue to be great is because you have to have that kind of self-belief in yourself, which why that's probably why he again, why he could say, if anyone's better than me at shortstop, I'll pack up and go home because he truly he truly feels he's that good. And honestly, he was that good when he was healthy. So I mean, it, it, what's to say that when he comes back next year that he's he's not the same too low? Because if you get that same too low, he's right. He name a better shortstop when he is he is healthy. So um, it's just a fun thing. Again, I, I watch these games and I and I watch like the li- the little things that are going on. But then I start sitting there and I go, okay, uh, you got a lot of outfielders. McKinney's crushing it. Like okay. It's looking like this guy is going to find a spot for him next year, right? Gritchuk's finishing super strong this year. I mean, he's had a phenomenal year. To Oscar, like, so I start to watch and I'm going, dang, there's so many pieces out there. There's going to be some friendly competition and then there's going to be some decisions that have to be made that are not going to be popular.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, the place you would rather be, right, the place where competitive teams are is where they know exactly where each player is and they have really established guys in the Blue Jays have a bunch of guys who haven't exactly proven that they're... Like, has Billy McKinney proven he's a starting MLB outfielder? Definitely not yet. He's looked good so far. They have a lot of guys who haven't quite proven it. And, you know, it's right now, what we're going to see for the rest of the season, part of what the rest of the season is worth watching, is they're going to throw it all at the wall and they're going to see who looks good in spring training. Like you said, next year is going to be really interesting. Who looks good? Is Devin Travis still a second baseman? Where is Gurriel going to play? You know, there's a lot. Yeah, what does that outfield look he's, like?
0: He's 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 a, he's a guy who's penciled. I I'm penciling him next year as a starter. I don't know where the heck you're gonna put him.
2: He's Diaz kind of interesting at third base out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of these things. You know, and Drury's gonna come back. He's a guy who might start for this team. Maybe he's not someone you want starting every day, but he's someone that they think highly of as well. So the next, the end of this year, the beginning of next year, it'll be very interesting because of all the young players that are in play. And our guest today, absolutely one of those young players, probably going to be fighting for a rotation spot next season, Sean Reed Foley. So here we are
0: with Mr. Sean Reed Foley, who's had a, a pretty interesting, uh, you know, last few weeks, big leagues. You just had a birthday with, uh, well, you turned 23 on the 31st, I want to say, so, or the 30th, so happy belated. Um, and then, obviously, obviously, you get your your uh, first big league win. Talk about! I mean, you've you started in New Hampshire, went to Buffalo and Toronto. I think you were, were you down for your birthday and then back up after your birthday to, to get that first win. Talk about uh, how it's all been.
1: Uh, yeah, no, it's been good. Uh, this it started off this uh, spring with it was pretty rough. Uh, kind of doing the same things that I was doing in 2017. Um. And got to New Hampshire with the pitching coach, uh, Vince Horseman And we sat down one day before my first ever side up there in Hartford, Connecticut. And he wanted to know what I wanted to do. And I showed him a video of 2016 when I was in Moe and Hi-A. And I said, I want to do this, Vince. And he kind of looked at me smiling and he said, all right, well, he said let's work on it in the bullpen. Let's see how it goes. And, and then I'll talk to you after five starts. And, uh, and kind, of, kind of the rest just kind of fell into place uh, on this year. And uh, and it kind of just kept you on with Steamer and Triple-A. And obviously, my first two starts up here in the bigs weren't, weren't the best. But uh, then whenever I came back up after I was optioned for those 10 days, uh, definitely felt a little bit more comfortable up here with all the guys and uh, whatnot, and uh, my mom was in Miami, so I couldn't make her drive six hours and kind of waste her time. So I knew I had to pitch somewhat good for her, and it just it just worked out. Nice. And you
0: say you say this right that you worked on this, and and obviously, you know, talking shop. What would this be like? Was it a delivery thing? Was it what what was able to take you over? And did you grab your mustache from? Uh, Vince horseman himself. Cause does he still have the stash? Cause I, I used to, I know him as only having a stash. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So it, it was just, just getting more movement and, uh, being more like, I guess fluid in my delivery. Um, uh, and just being together in sync with my hands and all my, and my legs and everything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say the mustache is probably the biggest part. Um, and once I got that back, I, I knew I couldn't, couldn't pitch bad with that, and I had to figure it out.
0: Good. Well, and, and listen, the the one thing is, I told Danny this, this, is you guys are playing with house money. You guys are young guys, and you guys have your opportunity to, to you know go back and forth and, and learn. And obviously, your debut, I want to talk about that, because I think I, I remember hearing that Gibby asked you how you're doing or what are you feeling like, and you said you can't feel your face. Is that a true or a false story? And, and talk about just your emotions Going out there because when I first made my debut, the only thing I was really worried about, which is dumb as it sounds, is I wanted to make sure I didn't drop the first pitch of the game as a catcher. What What were you thinking?
1: Uh, yeah, no, that was real. uh Gibby kind of came up to me after the the second inning and he said, "Hey, how you doing?" And I said, "Uh, yeah, Gibby, I'm good. I just can't feel my face." uh And he started laughing at me and he said, "Uh, he's like, welcome to the bigs, kid, or something like that." And uh. But no, it, it was it was good. Uh and I think debuting in Kansas City, kind of a smaller environment I would say, definitely smaller than New York uh Yankee Stadium, uh definitely helped. And uh just yeah, no, I, I was, after I got the first strike in there, after the first pitch, I was I was like, Okay, all right, this isn't it's the same game. That you've been playing since you were three and a half years old, and now you just gotta, now you just gotta pitch. I would say,
2: Sean, I want to follow up with you on the mustache, just because you'd be shocked how much we talk about facial hair on the show. We've had Pete Walker on; it's been a recurring theme for us. So, tell us about the origin story and what made you stick with it, because it's it's really an old school look. You don't expect to see it from a guy, you know, who's turning twenty three. And I know that there's a, you know there's a story there.
1: Um, so yeah, so my dad was in the military for 30 years, uh, and that's why I was born in Guam, uh, and he's just always had a mustache and that's kind of how we know our dad and, um, and one day in low A, I was just sitting there and at that point our organization only allowed like, uh, a goatee or a mustache or anything inside that area and I said, you know what? No one has a mustache. I'm gonna get a mustache. And uh and I was like, well if my dad has one, maybe it looks halfway decent on me and I will say this, I look nowhere close as good as my dad with the mustache. But I think I think it definitely uh is something different that not a lot of guys do and uh but my dad kinda just laughs at me with it, but it's okay.
2: Well to be fair, he's got a lot more experience with it, you know. Mustaches like all facial hair, something that's gonna get better with age, so maybe someday you'll catch him up.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe I'll catch it. I just don't know. Uh, I mean he's he's going he's going about thirty years strong with that thing, if not more.
2: I'm also glad you mentioned Guam in that answer because I wanted to give you some uh, Sean Reed Foley trivia because I, I quiz JP every episode about his own career and his life and he's, he's pretty middle of the road. He's not great. He's, he's passing right now. I want to ask you if you could name any other MLB players who have been from Guam or how many MLB players were born in Guam have made it to the big leagues.
1: Well, I do know that there's one, and he's with the Blue Jays, and I want to say his name was Sean also.
2: It's close. It's close. I'd give you half points. It's John Haddick in 2006. Uh, 29 plate appearances. Uh, So, you know, you've got a chance to be... One of the, definitely the most prolific player in the history of Guam baseball. If you can stick around for even, <laughs> even one season, you got it down. <laughs>
0: something, something to look up for, look forward to here. Here's another question is, I think it's pretty cool. So you have a brother that is a catcher. Uh, so. Is your off season, are you guys, is he just your bullpen guy or does he ever get to the point where he's like, all right, I'm, I don't want to catch you all the time. How did, even growing up, were you guys always a pitcher and a catcher? Like, how did that, how did that go? Cause I think that's pretty cool. I didn't have, I had a sister who pitched in softball, but I didn't want to ever catch her. So it's cooler for you.
1: Uh, Yeah. So David was actually a second baseman until we got to the big field, which, uh, like, uh, pro-dimension field, and then he started catching. And I was kind of doing whatever he was doing. So whenever he started catching, I started catching. And uh, and then whenever I got kind of to the big field, I stopped catching. And so, yeah, now in the off-seasons, we'll actually – because he was converted into a pitcher with the Dodgers back in, I want to say 2014-15, and I – so yeah, cuz we played against each other in 2015 in Loe. And yeah, so every offseason we'll we'll throw to each other. Uh he'll catch me, I'll catch him. Um, and I mean, we'll we'll play like scrimmage games with our kids in the offseason and uh, we'll both like we have like gear and everything and we'll we'll catch those games also. So no, I, I it's fun. Uh, definitely to because he's brutally honest with me uh, in the bullpens in the off season, which is nice, which you need. And uh, no, I, it's it's pretty cool throwing to him. And I mean, he enjoys it. Um, and I mean, he enjoys throwing bullpens to me. So it's it's a lot of fun.
2: It's interesting to hear about your history as a catcher, because I wanted to ask you about your experience at the plate in the big leagues, because we know that starting as Miami was a breakout start <laughs> on the mound. It was a little bit of a rougher day at the plate. And as a guy who comes up through an American league system, you don't really have the opportunity to hit much. So I wanted to ask you what you felt like up at the plate against the Miami Marlins, like proper major league pitching.
1: Uh, yeah, no, it was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I, I, I touched one baseball. So that was, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, and I got a uh, kind of a standing ovation from the crowd and uh, from the, from the dugout. Um, and then I looked over at Louis, third base coach, and he about fell over laughing because uh, everyone was clapping for me, and that, that was pretty awesome. Um, and uh, but no, I, I mean, it's <laughs> it, it was it was pretty uh, pretty good to see it from that angle because then you realize how actually hard. I mean, obviously I haven't done it since my junior high school hit, but you realize how hard it is to hit. It uh, doesn't matter what level you're at.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Ricky Romero, who's a good friend of mine, who he uh, struck out a few times versus Cole Hamels, and he came back to the dugout and said, I will never comment on hitters again um, because of how he he felt as a hitter. It looked a lot closer uh, to the pitcher than he did as a pitcher facing the hitters. Did you feel that way?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it felt like I was throwing at 60 feet, 6 inches, and, and when I was hitting it felt like it was about 45 feet away. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well that's the fun part. And then, you know, we've talked about baseball every once in a while here. Most of the time we I want to talk about other stuff. We get into food quite a bit. Is there any kind of go-to meals that you go to uh before you pitch? If there's anything that you that you're kind of superstitious with? And then what is it? what kind of food? What have you you haven't uh gotten to be around Toronto for a long long time, but is there any spots that you found in Toronto that you really enjoy?
1: Oh yeah, Pizza Nova. Place pizza enough, nova
2: yeah. i think yeah. that's the official I'm... pizza the blue jays company man over here
1: oh is it really i didn't know yes. that
0: so pizza nova and then what's your what would if you had do you have a pregame meal or are you just are you just kind of roll and, and not really into the superstition thing
1: no I'd, yeah i I'd just eat whatever's whatever's out there I, I, it doesn't really bother me did you have
0: cuban food in miami while you were down there did you get some cuban coffee or some cuban food in you
1: uh yeah i had a uh I had a Cuban sandwich in the clubhouse, and that—that that was about it. I—I uh, uh, I mean, I was only there for about 48 hours, so uh, didn't really didn't really get outside of the hotel much.
2: Before we let you go, I want to ask you a little bit about the temperature in the Blue Jays clubhouse for young guys, because there's seen a lot of changes in the last few weeks. So many guys pouring in. Like you got to have your debut with Danny Jansen. Obviously, you know, we've learned that Troy Tulowitzki won't be back this season. Josh Johnson recently got traded. Is it fun to be in a clubhouse where so many guys are experiencing the same thing at once and it's sort of fresh for a lot of people?
1: Uh yeah, no uh I think it's I think it's pretty uh pretty pretty good and uh I think the older guys are embracing it uh pretty well and I mean everyone's helping out each other, uh especially cuz I can I watch uh, Russ and Mailey work with Jano. Um, and a lot of like for instance, uh, with me it's like Sanchez and Estrada and Strowman and even Baruchy and, and uh and, like we're always we're always talking and uh and Gavilio and um uh, just just stuff like that, like little things like helping us out. Even even if it's like dumb questions like what do I wear to the field type things? Uh, like everyone's helping out each other. So it's, it's nice. Um, and they're, uh, they're receiving us with open arms and they're definitely helping us all out. Good. Well, the
0: rite of passage uh, to get to the big leagues, obviously you get to do the fun little things. This is my last one. Though. We'll let you go. Have you, have you gotten up to sing in the bus yet or did you have to tell a story? What's that on the bus? Have they made you get to the front of the bus and talk? Have you had to do any anything special since you're uh, freshly to the to the big
1: leagues? Um, yeah, uh, we, I've I've told uh, one story and then I've sung karaoke about five times.
0: What's what was your go-to song in karaoke?
1: Uh, living on a prayer. Classic.
0: Nice a little Bon Jovi. All right. Well, thank you for having or for coming on, dude. Uh, the the future is bright for you, and then just go out there and have fun, man. You got you got a, a long rope that you can play with, so go out there and have fun.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
2: That was Sean Reed Foley, kind of the up and coming power pitcher among the Blue Jays young rookies. You know, we've talked. You know, we talked to a lot of rookies. It's been kind of like a rookie month for us of late, and uh, there's kind of a constant theme that these guys seem so far pretty, pretty down to earth pretty relaxed guys like you could see you can kind of see a future blue jays culture emerging through these guys that are going to become prominent with the team in the next you know two three four years
0: well it's it's cool because now what what i like about the opportunity to have these guys on is this is the next wave so for the fans they can you know learn a few things kind of get to know the personalities because these are the guys uh that they're going to be watching for some time i mean Obviously, he just turned 23, uh, Jansen's young, Baruchy's young, uh, you know, Panone's young. Like, it's funny hearing uh, him talk about how Baruchy is the one that's that's kind of teaching them some things as well. I mean, that's a, that's a fun part. And again, uh, I just continue to look at the Braves. Look at the Braves. They're a young, young, young team. These guys just go out there and have fun. And I always believe that there's something good about the young guys is they really don't – they play like – they just want to go out there and have fun and live the dream. They're not to that to that point yet where mentally it's like become a job and I got to get ready for arbitration and all these different things. They're just going out there and trying to live the dream that they work for for uh, their entire lifetime. So I think that's why sometimes young teams can, can have a lot of success. But um, it's been fun, and obviously there's a few more of the wave that are on their way up. Uh, they'll, we'll see them most likely next year, but – uh, it's fun to get them on here and for fans to be able to kind of get to get to have a little bit of a, a quote-unquote meet-and-greet and, and kind of see what they're about.
2: Yeah, I think that a lot, especially fans who are really into it, like they've heard the name of these prospects for a long... Even Sean Reed Foley, a young guy, only 23, we've heard his name for quite a while if you really follow the team. But, you know, maybe you're following the team and you're seeing box scores and you're seeing, oh, Reed Foley did this this month or he got a promotion... And you don't actually really get a sense of the guys so much as people until you know they make it up and they get more exposure and get to do things like this. And so I think that's a cool opportunity for fans who, who know, quote-unquote, these players, but don't really know really anything about them necessarily as people.
0: Well, I, so for me, right, I, t- I look at it as, as my example. I always loved hockey. I loved watching hockey. But when I started to meet guys and realize – who they were, know them more as people, what they like to do, then I was engaged, right? Like I was watching these games. I was on the NHL package like, okay, who's playing? Is Logan Couture playing right now? Boom, I'm watching Logan Couture. Shea Weber on tonight? Bam, I'm watching Shea. Like I really was invested because I I just was in on the the human being, uh, who they were as a human being. So I think that's the fun part is – And I think that's where social media, there's good advantages, right, to having that where people can kind of get to know the players. And as fans, and I can call myself a fan now, as fans, I appreciate knowing more about that person because then I'm more inept to follow them and want them to have success and succeed and, and feel like I'm more part of it. So. I think that's a big that's a big part of, of growing uh you know a fan base and an organization.
2: Okay, before we move on quickly, I wanna offer a retraction. Uh, I said that Pizza Nova was the official pizza of the Blue Jays. That is uh, apparently that is not correct. I don't think it's correct anymore. In twenty fourteen they signed a three year deal and I I can't tell you who's the official pizza of the blue jays now, so I, I'm sorry if from a legal perspective, I don't want to give them credit for Isn't it, being I the official. I think it might be pizza, pizza Pizza. Maybe. Pizza Pizza is a very divisive pizza. A lot of people are pretty down on Pizza Pizza. But I think, it, I think you're right. I think it might be Pizza Pizza now. I don't know. We've talked a weird amount of chain pizza in the last two to three episodes. But I just wanted to make sure that we weren't giving Pizza Nova a Can title. Can we get sponsored by a
0: pizza joint? Because... Sean Reed Foley, pizza. Danny Jansen, pizza. Barucky, pizza. I mean, somebody out there will need you a little pizza action for the boys. I'm, not, I'm okay with being digging in pizza. I, I
2: don't know if that would be good for either of us. I guess it would be good for the bottom line. Anyway, we're going to move on to memory lane. All right, today's memory lane is going to be about the Arizona Fall League, which is a league that I feel like a lot of more casual fans aren't super familiar with. It takes place in October. A lot of the bigger prospects in baseball end up going there to extend their seasons, get more bats, get more innings. And it sort of started because a lot of the times guys play offseason ball in Venezuela or Dominican or somewhere like that where teams have a hard time keeping tabs on them. So they felt like, let's get them all kind of in one place where they'll be easy to scout, easy to coach, and each team sends a few guys down, and then they have these mixed teams. So, JP, you got to experience the Arizona Fall League, and I wondered what your experience was like there um, in Arizona and then also what it was like being on these teams composed of, you know, a couple people in your organization, but maybe not even at the same level as you, and then prospects from all over baseball. Like, how does... Do those teams come together? Is everyone just kind of out for their own stats? What What is that atmosphere like down in Arizona? Because that's where the Blue Jays are going to be sending Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette, and Kevin Biggio. So there's going to be a lot of spotlight on the Blue Jays' prospects down there.
0: Um, well, first off, it's an awesome experience. It's a lot of fun because you're lit- you're playing against and with the best prospects in baseball and a lot of major league guys, right? So there's a lot of guys in the fall. What I was fired up about was, man, this is my chance to play against major league players because there's a lot of guys that have played in the big leagues that go that have to finish the season. Like Scherzer uh, had to finish in the fall league and throw some extra innings because he was still young in his career, right? So um, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, that was when he was with the Diamondbacks, and I was a, I was with the team that had Diamondbacks, Oakland A's, Colorado Rockies, and us, we actually won the league. Uh, we had a really good team. Um, you know, some some guys, Sean Doolittle was our first baseman at the time, which is crazy to think that he was a first baseman, but now been a closer for so long. Um, it, it's fun, and it's – listen, you ask about is it everyone for themselves. I mean, think about it. In the minor leagues and these, these things, yeah, you're trying to showcase yourself, right? You're trying to definitely put up your numbers and show – how good you can be and how good you are. Um, but it's also about prolonging learning, learning what it feels like to play an entire six months per se, because they're going to have a little bit of a downbreak. break. Uh, they'll probably go to like instructs and then get ready to go to um, the fall league. But it gives hitters the idea of what 600 at bats feels like, which is a full major league season. It gives position players to kind of, You know, understand how long, you know, their bodies have to be ready for. Um, So it's a good thing, right? Because if you get sent to the Fall League, that kind of says that you're the next wave of guys. And I think obviously you see that the guys that they're sending out there, they're the next wave of guys. So it, it gives a lot of information to the organization. It gives a lot of information to these guys. They still have opportunity to go work on things. I'm sure everybody will have a quote unquote thing that they have to work on so for example for me that I went to the fall league after my first full season and I had just hit 298 with 28 homers and 105 RBI so I had a pretty good year but I didn't walk a lot I had 18 walks on the entire season and so their thing to me was which I never really learned anyways their thing to me was we want you to go to the fall league and we don't care what you do offensively? We want you to learn how to well, walk. Well, I've I we pulled up the
2: stats there. right now. If if you want to see it, Arizona Fall League. JP. Yeah, I had
0: it. I had it. had it. Yeah, I had a. I didn't have a bad I was gonna say I, And it should
2: not complete because you got five walks and a hundred and four at bats.
0: Yeah, I mean, but I still hit. I think I still hit two. Oh yeah, there were bombs and there was homers. RBIs and stuff. I'm yeah. just saying, like, and I and and in the All Star game, I went deep. I okay. went deep in the All Star game. So like. <laughs> Listen, I still did what I needed to do, but it, it was tough. But that's what they, they had told me to go there and work on that stuff. And you know, I tried. It just it was a it was a tough thing for me to do. But that's fall league a lot of the times are for guys that's where another prime example, uh Andrew Andrew Bailey. Um he was there. He had just pitched from double A with the Oakland A's and he was a starter who struggled in double a they send him to the fall league and they they try to make him out of the bullpen so he starts throwing out of the bullpen in the fall league and his fastball goes up to 95 96 with natural cut and then all of a sudden the oakland a's are like holy smokes this guy's got a chance next year he's the rookie of the year in the major leagues so those are what the fall league those are things that can happen in the fall league so it's exciting um and it'll be a good, a good again, good measurement of, of what's to come.
2: Yeah, I wanted to, I'm pulling up your 2008. So it's been 10 years since you were playing on the Phoenix Desert Dogs.
0: and Champions, some, champions, champions. Phoenix, so is Desert there a Desert playoffs?
2: Because it says your record was 18 and 18. But I guess there was a playoffs yeah, where obviously you Obviously, there's it. playoffs. Okay. So some names to note here. As you said, you mentioned a couple of them. Sean Doolittle. Uh, of course, the man we talked about earlier in the podcast, Josh Donaldson, was there, teammate of yours with the Desert Dogs. Correct. Uh, Michael McHenry, who went on to have a decent career as a backup catcher, yep, he catcher. absolutely crushed it there. He had nine dingers. He slugged seven eighty-six. I'm sure there are people getting yep. excited about Michael McHenry at that time. Uh, Eric Young Jr., the speedster, Danny Valencia, and you got uh, you know Andrew Bailey. Jeff Manship, Chaz Rowe. So some guys who ended up being bullpen guys, Scherzer, as you mentioned.
0: Chaz, Chaz is having a great year with the with the Rays this yeah, year.
2: Yeah, so you there's some real talent on these teams. It's, it's funny because I feel like once baseball ends, a lot of fans sort of tune out. It's like, okay, season over. And this is a thing where a lot of the biggest prospects are playing and – you know, this is some of the most exciting non MLB action that's going to happen this season.
0: No doubt. And again, that's where it's a good gauge because what you're doing is you're getting the top five, six guys from each organization prospects-wise that are close and you're putting them on teams and then you're putting those teams to play against each other. So it's kind of, you kind of really, really, not that it's a make or break, but you kind of weed out what, what may or may not be a true, true prospect. And I think some people there become listen, rest in peace, Tommy Hansen, he went to this fall league, and Nick, it was unbelievable, he was so unhittable, that it was like, it was undoubtedly like, this is the next big pitcher in Major League Baseball, and he was, and he was for some time, and and he was, I think, I want to say he was the MVP of the league that year, uh, I'm pretty sure, but I mean, that's that's the stuff that happens, man, and so it kind of gives you the opportunity to go, here's the best against the best. Now let's see who kind of sticks their head above that, um, you know, crowd.
2: Yeah. That's an interesting stuff that goes on. Josh Johnson, for instance, played first base. Um, I think you see a lot of that experimentation. You're going to see Biggio this year is going to experiment in the fall league at outfield after playing primarily second base during the season. The blue Jays have a ton of outfielders, but he's the guy that they really like his bat maybe he's a future corner outfielder for them and they find that out by watching him play this year and uh one f- name that i kind of skimmed over that i wanted to give some credit to tony barnett guy who kind of flamed out yeah. and then went to japan and came back and was actually pretty then- pretty damn good player
0: yeah and here's here's another thing that people realize too in the fall league you get to you have a few of your players that you get to say are priority players. So in the fall league, they, are, they have this thing called the taxi squad, which can only play twice a week. So you send these guys, and some of these guys only are the taxi squad, so they can only get two two games in a week. And then each team gets to designate priority guys, which have to play pretty much every day. And so that's another thing is, is you do that, and, you, and you'll and you see, okay, maybe – because maybe Biggio – that was part of it like hey he has to go to the outfield if he's going to play every single day or different things there's a lot of different things that go into making these teams um and again there's guys that are priorities guys and there's guys that are taxi squad guys and and the priority guys doesn't mean that they're better than other I mean McHenry was a guy who was a, a kind of a taxi squad guy who didn't who didn't play every day but he had a good fall league and, and there's guys that, that can go out there and still do that twice a week and have, have kind of opened some eyes. So that's another part that goes into it that people really don't know about. I wanted
2: to ask you about the, the off-the-field vibe there because, and this is me being – I've been to Arizona once. Maybe it's me being ignorant. It strikes me as kind of a little bit of a hot and empty kind of place. Was it, is it a fun place to be?
0: Hot and empty. Heck no, that place is freaking unbelievable. That place, the Arizona Fall League, for a lot of those guys, especially that are of age, <laughs> it is a danger zone. Because, one, there's a little school called Arizona State that's right there. Oh, right isn't that like Scottsdale the number one Tempe. party
2: school in the States or something?
0: Yeah. So it's like Scottsdale is unbelievable. I mean, like above, above, above average nightlife. And people are very good looking they take care of themselves over there very well. And so there is a lot of trouble to get into. And I will say that I enjoyed the fall league uh, at a very high clip. Um, and I'm sure sh- there's even guys that literally don't play in the fall league that'll go out Just there and hang out there and, and quote unquote train <laughs> out there because they want to be able to party it up because it is, it's a great party scene um, and it, and they have Sundays off. I'm pretty sure Sundays are off or in the fall league. Well, there's one day off a week. And so the night before, it's blowout central.
2: All right. So for uh, the end of this episode, as always, JP Career Trivia. And this is actually pertinent to what you're talking about because it is about walks. We have talked about things JP does somewhat infrequently and those being the topic of questions. So my question for you is, is what is the most walks you ever drew in a single game? And can you remember who the opponent was? I'll do the team. It'll be worth two. Number of walks and the team you faced. It's interesting because this is a game we've literally talked about before on the podcast. But there's there's a clue.
0: It'd be two walks.
2: Wrong. You had three one time. Yeah. What?
0: Wait a second. No chance. They must have. They must have. That has to be a No, title. no,
2: no. Uh, do you want to take a shot at the opponent before I reveal some of the stuff that's going on here?
0: Gosh, man. I'm going to be 0 for 2 again. This is so stupid. Is it American League? Uh, yeah, it's American League. Team. Uh, and we've talked about this game before. I'm just going to say, I'm going to say that. Texas Rangers uh, I don't incorrect.
2: Know. it's the Boston Red Sox so the reason we talked about this game before is because we talked about you drawing a walk against Jonathan Papelbon and him not liking it that was the third walk you drew that day Oh, so this gosh. was July uh, 5th at 2011 Boston. at, at Boston. Boston a 3-2 win for the Boston Red Sox and you were a very atypical 0-for-1 because you had three walks and one strikeout did not leave the baddest box.
0: That is unbelievable. I swear to you, I literally thought the most because I used to get super fired up if I'd get one walk. Like if I got one walk, I'd I'd like run the first base. Like I just did something that I shouldn't have done. Obviously, my biggest walk of of notoriety or whatever is breaking up the perfect <laughs> game for Justin Verlander. That'll live on forever. Um, which which is the I feel so bad because of the all the people that you would have said no chance it was me and it happened but gosh three walks man there must have that must have been a day that it, for whatever reason either people weren't throwing the ball anywhere near the zone for me or f- something must have crazy happened the night before let, who knows but that's let me that tell you often.
2: some more facts that make this more ridiculous so first of all the walks came from three different pitchers, so it wasn't even like one guy was totally wild that day. And second, and this is my favorite fact about the game, the Toronto Blue Jays drew a total of four walks that day. So you walked three so times, I was, and I they was, walked once the whole rest of the line. Well,
0: my bad. I must have just been an unbelievable hitter that day. I would Actually, you know what? I was an unbelievable hitter that day, now that I think about it. No, I'm not. pretty good. I should i I should have walked much more in my career, and I would still be playing. And then I don't have to answer to these dumb. You don't questions have to deal with me. You. So
2: you know what's also fun about this JP career trivia? O for two, is it takes you back down to a hard fifty percent. You're at twenty five for fifty, which is uh, is the danger zone. Normally, when you start to get into the danger zone, I give you something a little bit easier next time. And so I'll probably think about that, but uh yeah you're 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 again i thought that you might remember this, especially the clue for the jonathan path thing i thought there was a chance of that
0: yeah you know uh, listen obviously i don't have fond memories of some certain things certain things i have better memories of walking three times in a game wouldn't have been a fond memory to me which is probably why i didn't walk a lot is because i didn't respect it as much as i needed to but the good thing is is I now teach guys how important it is to make sure they get their pitches. And if they don't, they can take the classic.
2: The don't be like me, uh, type of leadership and teaching.
0: Yes. Don't be like me, except for be like me on how you hit homers. Cause I did hit homers, but try to, get I'm going to give
2: you a small Nick Ash anecdote. because you're, that you're going to hate because you hate all of my anecdotes about my, it's not about sports. Okay. It's not about dodgeball or anything. So when I was in high school, I was the treasurer for, uh, my high school in student council and under my watch, I'd say like over a thousand dollars went missing. I didn't steal it. I just like, I think someone else stole it. I cue someone's a long story. Anyway. I, so I had to give a speech, uh, to introduce the new people want to be treasurer next year. And I, I ended the speech with the last thing we need is another Nick Ashbourne and the crowd went wild. And the, the vice principal was like, at least this kid's self-aware.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that you were the treasurer of the whatever club, because that makes me be even more proud of the kind of human you are. <laughs> hey, man, it's it's Just tough. A beauty. Just It's tough a beauty. to get elected,
2: you know, in a democracy. You know, it's such a, it's a popularity contest. You got to grease certain wheels. You got to kiss babies. It's a hard process. Yeah. You know, I am proud of that election win. I'm not proud of what I did when I was elected, but, you know. Sometimes the wins will matter. Hey,
0: you're not you're not proud of what you did. I'm not proud that I walked maybe seven times in my career. Three of them were obviously in one game. Um, but there is a lot of things to be proud about. Like you have your facial hair going so for it's you. It's all the way back. Eh? It's, I, it's pretty stolid. It's getting close. Your, your chest hair is still coming out of your shirt at an above average rate. And... I am now back to my playing weight. So there's listen, there's there's positives in everything. We just gotta, we just gotta. Right, see I feel
2: that. like that is literally the best way we can end this by just listing all the positives after a story about my high school government. So that is it for episode 17 of Digging in with JPR er and Cebia. We hope that you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes wherever you find your podcasts. There are too many to name, uh, and hopefully we will be entertaining you again next week and are not canceled at that time. See ya.